some of your favorite, and if it's your favorite, I'm sorry, please don't email me uh, about that. And please don't, you know, send me a copy of the Hallmark movie Christmas shoes or, or anything like that. It's just, man, it's just so sad. That's the saddest. The kid's buying shoes for his mama who's dying. Uh, and I just don't, I don't need that driving down the road, you know. Um, <laughs> but again, I know some of you love it, so Merry Christmas to you. Uh, uh, <laughs> make yourself depressed for the whole month uh, if you want. Isaiah chapter 2 is where we'll be today. When it comes to Christmas time, uh, the Christmas season for us, uh, often we first begin our, our time with uh, emphasis on missions, and that's exactly what we're going to do this year as well. So I want us to uh, first come to the book of Isaiah and look and see how the Word of God will speak to us today. I don't know how you feel about missions. I, I know some of you are passionate. I, I feel passionate about the Great Commission and our church's part in, in what God is doing in the whole world. Others of us, I know, feel a little bit of indifference. Hopefully, we can come together and, and discover that passion uh, from God's own heart when it comes to missions. Um, to put things in perspective, about uh, 50, 60 years ago, uh, there were two major American institutions that made very lofty and important goals. The first one of those institutions was the Southern Baptist Convention and back in the 1950s. The Southern Baptist Convention uh, set a goal that every person on the planet would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Back in the 50s, Southern Baptist Convention said that their goal was that every single person on the planet would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the very same time, uh, a, a company, a, a rather new company in the United States called Coca-Cola, made the same goal, a similar goal. Their goal was that uh, every person on the planet would have a taste of Coke. Okay? Now, as we just stop and look back over the last century, which organization do you think has come closest to achieving their goal? The Southern Baptist Convention wanting everyone to hear the name of Jesus or Coca-Cola wanting everyone to have a bottle of Coke? Yeah. There's actually no, no, no contest. Coca-Cola is now a, a universal phrase. Everybody knows what Coke is in, in the world. Uh, it's, it's the most common English phrase, Coca-Cola. And, and when they market Coke, you'll notice that they, they, they market it in a rather interesting way. They'll say things like, Coke is the real thing. It's the real thing. Or have a Coke and a smile. Yeah, as if they're bottling joy. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke. Seriously? <laughs> Coke is going to bring the world into perfect harmony? It, you would think they were preaching the gospel, but they're not. And you would think those who preach the gospel would be as eager to share the gospel as Coca-Cola has been to share Coke. Unfortunately, that is not always the case, and that is to our shame. Isaiah chapter 2, let's look at the vision from the Lord. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. This is a word, a vision. This is a word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to, say the word, 
worship, that will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares. What's a plowshare? What's a a plowshare? They're going to hammer their swords and weapons into plowshares. I thought this was a redneck church. What are plowshares? Yeah, thank you, Joni. We knew we could count on you. It, it is the blade part. It's the engaging part of a plow that cuts into the soil. It's a, it's a farming utensil. It's used for plowing. So they're going to beat their swords and weapons into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Go back all the way back to verse 1, all the way back to verse 1. This is a New Living Translation says vision, but but actually the word there is word. This is a word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. This is a word that Isaiah saw. So explain to me, how do you see a word? This is a word that he saw. How do you see a word? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Yeah, from John chapter 1. That's amazing. And and it's very, very complicated. But I want to do something with you. I want you to look at this Word. This is a, again, New Living Translation says vision. Uh, Most translations will simply say Word. The Hebrew word there is dabar. It's a Hebrew word. Say dabar. Dabar. Dabar is a Hebrew word that has a very interesting meaning. It, It has two meanings. It means either word or deed. Either word or, or action, that's, that's really fascinating. The Hebrew word for word, debar, means either word or deed. That means when you're reading the Old Testament, in a fascinating way, there is no real way to separate saying from doing. Y'all with me at all? Did, did I lose you at plowshare today? There's no way to separate saying and doing. There's one Hebrew word, debar, and it simply means either word or deed. Now, this is fascinating. That means all through the Old Testament, in our doctrine of God especially, saying and doing are one thing. There is power in word. That is why when God creates, how does he create? By speaking. When God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, galaxies explode into existence. In the beginning was the Word, Joy reminds us, and the Word was with God, and and the Word was God. You understand, there's incredible density to this concept of speaking and doing in the Old Testament. But the important thing you have to realize is that when it comes to God, speaking and doing are the same thing. There's no separating them. Now, this is one of the things that really begins to show us the distance between us and God, because for us, there's often a very, very wide gap between our speaking and our doing. 
We say a whole lot of things we don't mean, and we make a lot of promises that we don't ever keep. And honestly, if you look at our, listen to our talking and compare it to our walking, there's actually often a great inconsistency. There is quite a separation for most of us between our saying and our doing, but not so in the Word of God, not so for God, and not so for those who are going to walk in the ways of the Lord. You understand? Walking and talking should be in one piece in all of our lives, but it's simply not the case. So this is a word that Isaiah saw. So what is the word? What is the message from the Lord here? It's in verse 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be highest of all in the last days. So Isaiah is a prophet, and he's actually seeing the future here. He's given a vision, he's given a word of what God is going to do in the future. So what is it that God is going to do? In the last days, the mount of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills and people from, here's the key, people from all over the world will stream there to worship. So what God is revealing to Isaiah here is God's own purpose, God's global purpose for the world. Well, what is God doing in the world? God is doing this. God is raising up a people. God is drawing people from every nation, every tribe, every language to himself. This is what God is doing. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, from all eternity, God is trying to draw people to himself from every nation, every language. You with me? Understand that? God God has this global purpose. It is God's mission, and it is the very heart of God, and it has never changed. God has never veered. God has never altered this purpose. He's going to bring people from every nation to himself to worship him. So how is he going to do that? Well, we know through Jesus, we know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is drawing people, reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. We know that. But this message of Jesus, this, this task of preaching the message, whose job is that? How is God going to draw all people from all over the world to himself? He's going to do that through the church. This is what we learn as Jesus ascends into heaven after the resurrection. He gives the great commission to us. So God's great global purpose becomes our great global purpose. We are supposed to be the ones to spread the message of Jesus so that people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue will come to the Lord, will come to God and worship him. His global purpose is our global purpose. I guess the fascinating part of this, though, is how quickly you and I want to put this back on God. He gives the purpose to us. He gives this task to us, but we would so much rather he just take care of this himself. You know what I'm saying? We would so much rather that God himself just do this. That's why when it comes to missions, we'd lot rather just pray. Just pray that God will send missionaries. I mean, we pray that all the time, and he says to pray that, that, that there will be more workers, But at the very same time, when we pray for workers, what's the next step? If you pray for missionaries, what should be your very next move? Well, you should pack your bag. Do you understand? 
God has given us this purpose. God has given us this task. If God is drawing all people from every nation to himself, then understand, we can't ask God to do for us what God actually wants us to do for him. In a couple of weeks, we'll be gathering our, our, our great missions offering for the year. And honestly, our, our goal is astronomical. It, it, it sounds like so much to me. And so I find myself praying, oh, God, please provide for this offering. God, please bless this offering. But, but you want to know the truth? God's already blessed this offering. God has already provided every single dime needed for this church to accomplish his purposes. Do you know it? He's already given it. There's no question. We don't have to wait for two weeks to find out. God has already provided everything that we need to do his will. And here's the thing. That money that God has provided, every single dime of it, it's in our pockets, Understand? It's in our pockets. So the only thing left to happen is you and I have to learn to turn loose of it. Well, Pastor Tim, all the money in my pocket's already spent. Yeah, what does that say about you? What does that say about me when all of the money in our pockets is already spent on us? When there is this global purpose that God has called us into, that honestly is our responsibility. We can't be asking God to do for us what God wants us to do for him. This great global purpose belongs now to us. We are the ones to preach the word. We are the ones to send missionaries. We are the ones to go. Do you understand? So how will we do this? How will we fulfill the purpose? Well, honestly, I think part of the key is found right here in Isaiah chapter 2. Go down to verse 5. Let's start at the bottom and work our way up today. Verse 5, come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Just be dead honest with you. I've spent a lot of time at this church. I've spent a lot of time in church. I've, I've lived my whole life in church. I, honestly, it's, it's probably part of why I'm weird. And, and in my experience with, with church people and, and being a predominant church person myself, I, I think that we sometimes think that, that talking about the light of the Lord is the same thing as walking in the light of the Lord, and they're not the same things. We do a lot of talking about the Lord and talking about the light of the Lord. I mean, you, you, as much as we talk, you would think we had actually walked. But often all we do is talk. Even when it comes to missions, mostly what we do is talk and, and, and pray. But, but I remind you, the word Jesus used when he talked about missions toward us was to go. It was to go. But honestly, we would much rather talk. The instruction here is to walk in the light of the Lord. You have to walk this thing. You understand? You have to live the gospel out. It has to be a way of life, a way of being in the world for you. But often this is just really not the case. Honestly, it's not enough to say it. You have to show it. The, the, the sermon that is your life is so much more important than the sermon which is your words. You understand? There should be this incredible unity between your words and your deeds so that they truly are one thing. But honestly, some of us, the audio just doesn't really match the, the video. And, and the word speaks about this in, in the book of 1 John. It says this, God is, say the word, 
light. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God while we are walking in darkness. Okay, this is from the Bible, and it says you are lying. You're lying if you say you have fellowship with God while still walking in darkness. Now, what do we mean walk in darkness? If, if God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, then what does it mean for you and me to walk in, in, in darkness? In other words, it means to walk in such a way where it would be as, as if there was no God at all, or, or to live our life in such a way as if God doesn't matter, as if his light does not shine within and, and upon us. And good church people all over the house are saying, well, Brother Tim, who would do that? Who would live as if there is no God? Well, about half the people on your pew, probably. I mean, let's just be honest. We come to church on Sunday. We talk a lot about the light of the Lord, but many of us just walk as if there's no God at all. I mean, there are a whole lot of people who really only pray when they're at church, or when they're in trouble. You understand? A whole lot of you, you may carry your Bible to church, but you don't read your Bible all week long. So honestly, the fact that, that you have a Bible is sort of beside the point. It doesn't work if you don't read it. And the fact that God is light isn't going to make a lot of difference to you if you won't walk with him, if you won't have fellowship with him, a, a genuine personal friendship with God. But honestly, that's not the way a lot of us live. We do our own thing as if there is no God. We live our lives for ourselves. We spend our money on ourselves as if there's no God at all. So you're lying if you say you have fellowship with God while still walking in darkness, walking where God is not. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship. It changes, you know what I'm saying? We have fellowship with each other, fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all, say the word, sin, from all sin. I don't, I don't know what you think the problems in your life are, but, but my hunch is most of the problems in my life and yours come, come right back down to this. For, for one thing, we sort of live a lie. We say that we're all about God, but we're not. We, we say that Jesus is all the world to us, but he's just not. We really are all the world to ourselves, and we put ourselves first. And, and the fact that we do just continues to reveal the fact that, that there is still more darkness in our hearts than light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with with each other. Isn't that interesting? We were talking about fellowship with God, and quickly it becomes fellowship with each other. These are two other things you really can't separate. You can't say that you love God while you can't get along with anybody else on earth. These things go together. If his love is in you, that love will be evident everywhere. Fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Sin's my problem. It's, it's my problem. It's the world's problem, actually. You can't watch the news and not see that. You, you can't walk down the sidewalk in Woodburn or Bowling Green or Franklin, for that matter, and not see that. Sin is our problem. Everything that unfolded in Ferguson 
uh, in the last couple of weeks. It's, it, it, it all goes back to sin. And you and I, we, we, can just, we, can, we can just get all upset and burdened about the sin of the world, and that's appropriate. That The world's problem is sin, and Jesus is the answer for the world's problem of sin. But before you and I can ever begin to see ourselves as part of the solution, we have to recognize that we are part of the problem. My sin is part of what's wrong with the whole world. And until I take my sin very, very seriously, seriously enough to let Jesus' blood begin to cleanse me, seriously enough to let the blood of Jesus bring me back into right relationship with everybody else and with God himself, until I begin to let Jesus really address the sin problem in me, I am pretty much useless in trying to tell the world the good news about the sin problem that it has. Y'all with me? It starts within me. It starts within us. And it starts with us getting very, very honest and serious about our own sin problem. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We must walk in the light of the Lord. Back to verse 3. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. Then he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. He will teach us and, and we will walk. He will teach us and, and we will walk. It, it's this whole idea that this relationship with God is, is, is transformative. It, it transforms, it changes me. The old folks used to talk about being converted. It, it means to change, and, and the gospel changes us. This, this gospel with which we are entrusted to share with the entire world. It's a transforming word. It's, it, it's a message that change is possible. But that change has to take place in, in me. It has to take place in you. We cannot possibly begin to preach this message until the message has gone to work inside of us. Do you not see that? He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. You haven't learned it until you've walked in it. I read a really sad, kind of hilarious story, sad, hilarious, all, all at the same time. Um, apparently, one of the experts in that bull running thing they do in, what's it called, Pamploma, Spain, is that right? That They do the running of the bulls there. And there was a man who was sort of an expert in the running of the bulls in Pamplona. His name was Bill Hillman, and he lived in Chicago. He lived in Chicago, where apparently I don't think any bulls run. <laughs> Bill Hillman became an expert in the running of the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. He even wrote a book in Chicago about the running of the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. He wrote a book called How to Survive the Running of the Bulls in Pamplona, Spain. He wrote it in Chicago. And he was recognized as an expert in the running of the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. And he lived in Chicago. Yeah. Guess what he did this past year? He went to Pamplona, Spain, and ran with the bulls. Just guess how that turned out. He got gored twice. In his hospital bed, they interviewed him. You know what he said? There are some things I need to go back and change in my book.
I can't believe that. Uh, he lived in Chicago. He was an expert in the running of the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. And then he went to Spain. Going to have to revise his book. Yeah. I, I don't even have to make this stuff up, people. It's just... A, You and I sort of set ourselves up as some sort of expert, don't we? Man, we can tell everybody in the whole world all about Jesus, and we can talk about the Bible. Oh, my goodness. I mean, if you spend enough time around Woodburn Baptist, you would think that we are experts in this whole global mission thing. You would think that we were experts in the gospel. If you just hear us talk, because we, we really seem to know a lot about this stuff. We got a 2020 vision. Just blow your mind. But there's one very, very important thing that you and I have to address, and that is simply we can't expect God to do through us what we've never really allowed him to do in us. We're talking about the gospel here. We all know that Jesus is the answer for everything that's wrong with the whole world, but, but if we know that, if we know so much about that, if we know that Jesus is the answer for the problems of the world, why do you and I still have so many problems? If we've truly been walking with Jesus as long as some of us claim to have been walking with Jesus, why is it that we've never yet learned anything about his ways? Are, are you with me at all? And, and some of us, I mean, we've been at this so long. We, we've been sitting in pews. You've heard so many sermons. You've heard so many sermons this year. And, and yet there's no obvious change. Nothing ever seems to happen with, with, with you and me. We, we hear the gospel preached, and we know so much about what the word says, but, but we never walk in that. We have not yet let him teach us his ways in such a way where we begin to walk in his paths. You understand? We are to walk in his paths. This is a way of being in the world and not just a way of behaving when you are at church. Our problem is that we often expect God to do through us what we have never really had him do in us. And, and this is what's disconnecting with the mission, this global purpose that God has for our church, and the fact that we don't seem to be making much progress in it. We expect God to do through us what we've never really allowed him to do in, in us. A, a good example, verse 4. The, the Lord will mediate between nations. This is a, a vision of the future, right? A word about the future. The Lord will mediate between nations and will settle international disputes. He's going to settle international disputes. Won't that be nice? They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. That's a beautiful vision. I think these words are inscribed on, on, the, front of the, um, uh, on the front of the United Nations building, Right? It's this vision of world peace, hammering swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. The idea is, since we're not going to fight anymore, we have no use for weapons of war. And so we just turn them into useful things, farming implements, the kind of thing that you can grow food with or, or maybe prune trees. It's this beautiful picture of having no use whatsoever, not even for a Nerf gun. You understand? There's no fighting. Never will we train for war anymore. Nation will no longer fight against nation. Won't that be nice? I never thought I would see anything in my whole life. I never thought I would see anything like the videos I've seen this year of ISIS slitting throats. I never imagined that. 
I never imagined that that, that, that sort of thing would actually happen. I'd read about it, I, I heard about it, but, but now to see it. And, and it's not just ISIS, it's not just the Islamists in the Middle East or in North Africa. It, it, it's all around the world, just fighting is it, constant. And this is why this vision of peace is so beautiful and, and in some ways so heartbreakingly distant. Because as nice as it sounds to have peace in the whole world, it sounds like the most impossible sort of future for the world. We we fight very well. It says we'll no longer train for war, but let's just be really honest. We make training for war an absolute way of life in every nation in the world. It's just part of living. We're always ready for a fight. But this beautiful picture of what God is doing and drawing all people to himself is this message of peace. And while we learn to walk in his light and while we learn to walk in his ways, we also are going to walk in his peace. This is the promise of the gospel and this is God's global purpose. He's bringing peace. That's why Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. He's bringing peace. He's bringing an end to the fighting, an end to all of the conflict. Won't that be nice? And you and I are the ones that bear this message that peace that that is coming with the kingdom of God. That's the peace that's coming through the church. That's the message you and I get to share. Do you see the problem? Do you see the problem? Why you and I are, are, are called to be those who are blessed as peacemakers? We don't necessarily walk in this peace ourselves. It would be nice to to have a world where nation is no longer training for war against nation. I'll be be satisfied with a a world where churches aren't training for war against churches. And in some churches, it would be nice if the right side wasn't training for war with the left side. We seem to know nothing at all about this peace, which is ingredient to the kingdom of God. It's, It's God's global purpose, and we're supposed to be walking in it. It'd be amazing to have peace in the whole world. It would be equally amazing to have peace just in your house now, wouldn't it? Peace in your own heart. We're as far away from this as we could possibly be, and that's very, very difficult to explain. When we say that we are the people of peace, we say that we're the people of God, we are the church, we say that we're the hope of the world, we say that we are the one place where God's rule has begun and it's going to take over, but it hasn't even taken over us yet. I told y'all the story before, the man and wife that got in a big argument over something really small. You're afraid I'm going to tell a story about you right now, aren't you? Something really, really small. One day, the man, how do I put this? He was finishing up in the bathroom, and he looked over to the toilet paper rack holder there, and what do you think was hanging on it? Just a cardboard tube. Cardboard tube right there, when he really needed, you know, and it was just a cardboard tube. So what did that mean? I mean, the last person who used toilet paper did what? They used it all and left just the cardboard tube. Now, we all know that it is most considerate that when you take the last square off, you go ahead and, yeah, because it's really sort of undignified to be the person having to run around through the house, you know, to to get a a, a fresh roll. So he looked over and he sees this cardboard tube just hanging there and it just, it just, it just flew right up his nose. So he walked in there to his wife, waving this cardboard tube and said, did you leave this? She said, honey, what are you talking about? He said, this, did you know this? She said, what do you mean? 
He said, why am I the only person in this house who knows how to change a roll of toilet paper? She said, you are not the only person in this house who knows how to change a roll of toilet paper. I probably change it more than half the time. I change it more than half the time. You're the one that doesn't change it. He says, I change it every time. Okay, this fight lasted for days. That's not a joke. It lasted for days. So finally, he decided to have a plan. You know what he did? Every time he changed a roll of toilet paper, he'd save that cardboard roll. He'd take a Sharpie and he'd write his name and he'd write a date on it. (laughs) Y'all, this is true. (laughs) He wrote a date on it and he started putting them in a black garbage bag in his shop. Every time he changed the toilet paper, he wrote a date on it and kept that roll and put it in a bag in his shop. He was ready. Several months later, the argument came back up. And his wife made the statement, I think I changed toilet paper at least half the time in this house. You're not the only one. I think I changed it probably more than half the time. He said, you ain't right there, woman. (laughs) He went to his shop. He brought out this giant garbage bag. Now, a giant garbage bag full of cardboard toilet paper rolls, all of them signed and dated. And he turned the bag upside down in the kitchen. Toilet paper rolls flying everywhere. He said, look, I got proof. I got proof. And she said, you're sick. (laughs) You're sick. This fight continued all the way into the pastor's office. The pastor's office. So the pastor said, can you please tell me what the problem is? And the man said, I'll show you what the problem is. He brought his garbage bag. He turned it upside down in the pastor's office. He shook him out. Cardboard toilet paper was flying everywhere with, with autographs and dates on it. He said, there it is right there. And the pastor said, you're sick. You're sick. Some of you, man, you're sick. You're sick. You can't let anything go, can you? You can't let anything go. You're sick. You're sick. You can't quit keeping score. It destroys your marriage, but you don't care. All you care about is winning. All you care about is being right. All you care about is making everybody else wrong. You're sick. There's something profoundly wrong with your heart that you say belongs to Jesus, but you cannot be at peace with anyone if we walk in the light As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Some of you don't have fellowship with anybody. And I'm telling you, there's something profoundly wrong with your heart. It will be wonderful when nation no longer trains for war against nation. I'm still waiting for the day in Woodburn Baptist Church where husbands no longer train for war against their wives, where friends stop training for war against their former friends. I'm 
still waiting for this peace to be something that we learn to walk in, but we are a long way from it. God, God help us. It's, it's God's global purpose to bring people from all the nations to himself. It's never changed from all eternity. This is what God is doing. He's looking for worshipers, those who will come and, and, and learn, his, learn his ways and walk in them. Let his peace invade and take over their hearts so they walk in that peace. Let his light shine in such a way that it scatters all the darkness in our hearts. We, we walk in his light. God's global purpose becomes our global purpose what were the last words Jesus spoke on earth? Think. The very last words that Jesus himself spoke on earth. I'll save you the trouble. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. His final words on earth, to the ends of the earth. Do you understand that? He gave us a purpose. It, it, it is an important and, and global purpose to be his witnesses, to, to share this message, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Here's what I'm thinking. My great failure, your great failure, is probably not that you haven't preached the gospel to the whole world. Listen to me. I don't think our failure is that we haven't preached the gospel to the, to the whole world yet. I think our failure, our primary failure is that we haven't preached the gospel to ourselves. Because this is where it starts. You preach the gospel to yourself. You, you, you preach the gospel to yourself. You, you preach the gospel to yourself to the point where Jesus is all the world to you. And then when Jesus is all the world to you, then you can begin to preach Jesus to the world. I'm afraid that we haven't heard the gospel ourselves yet. Maybe just enough to get ourselves saved, but not enough to learn to walk in his light and walk in his peace and walk in his ways. The bottom line is this. God's first step in changing the world is to change you. This amazing global mission, it starts with you. And God can never do through you what he has yet to do in you. Missions starts in you. Pray with me. Oh, God, some of us, we are sick. It is a sickness of soul. It is a sin sickness, Lord. And we know that the gospel is the medicine, that the good news of Jesus, what Jesus does for us, it is the answer to every problem that we face. We're very good at watching the news and identifying the problems of the world. We are not very good at looking at ourselves, seeing the problems in ourselves. We, we want to talk about missions. We want to talk about changing the world, but we haven't thought very much about letting the gospel change us. 
Jesus, help us. We who talk so much about your love, we need to walk in your love and your peace. We who talk so much about the light, we need to walk in your light. We who have learned so much of your truth, we must learn to walk in your ways, God. There is so much distance between our saying and our doing. I I pray, Lord, on the front end of this mission's emphasis, we do a lot less talking, a lot more doing. Lord Jesus, the most important work of the gospel is that work that's yet to be done in our own hearts. So, Lord, today, help us to turn to you and strain our eyes to see you and to see a word from you today, a word that will change our lives for good, a word that we can share with the world that will change the world for you, O Lord. Your last words to us were to the ends of the earth. Lord Jesus, will you do in us what you want to do through us that we might be useful to you to the ends of the earth. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.